How many of you were here last Easter weekend and saw the confetti fall down from the rafters as we had this big celebration of the resurrection of Jesus? And I want to tell you, this weekend now, what I want to do is kick off this teaching series by simply just studying the Bible and what it says about heaven. It may sound simple, but I'm going to encourage you, man. I, get, I love teaching on heaven. In fact, I think this is the only time I've ever done the entire series just on heaven. And we're going to look about what Scripture does and does not teach about that particular subject. Here's how much I love heaven. When uh, I went to grad school, seminary, it's like a fancy word for grad school for pastors, I, I didn't know much about the Bible or about what theology taught. I had become a Christian at 19 years old. God had radically changed my life. And after college, I wanted to learn more, so I went to seminary in Southern California. And while I was there, I took a, a systematic theology course where I we, one of the things we studied was heaven. And I decided for my uh, paper, for the midterm, I was going to write this 10-page paper on this broad topic of heaven. And after weeks of studying, dude, I loved studying that stuff so much. What scripture taught on it, what historically theologians had said about it. I was, I was eating it up. I mean, don't you just love thinking about what heaven will actually be like? At the end of the several weeks of studying, I wrote the 10-page paper, and I was supposed to turn it in that day. It was worth a third of our grade for the entire semester. And I didn't turn it in. Instead, I took three more weeks. <laughs> Any professors out there love what I'm sharing right now? I took three more weeks. I wrote an additional 20 pages. I wrote a 30-page paper, and I went three weeks after it was due and handed it into the professor, and he looked at me like, what is wrong with you? He said, I cannot give you credit for this paper. It was due three weeks ago. It was worth a third of your grade. You are going to fail this class. And I looked at him and I said, I'm paying you a lot of money to come here. And I really came here to learn this stuff. So I just loved it so much. I just kept studying. I figured, who cares what grade I get? I want to learn. I turned it in. Now, I don't know how the math worked, but somehow he ended up giving me a B plus in the class. And it all worked out okay. But I learned more about heaven than anyone else in that class. I mean, I can't brag about many things, but I will brag about that. And so I want to share today with you why I love studying heaven so much. Because some of us, we think that heaven is going to be this boring place up in the clouds, floating around, and we're going to sing songs and hymns all day. And there's going to be these little babies with their little baby angel wings with their cupid arrows flying around next to us. And that is just completely contrary to what the Bible teaches and what historically Christians have believed. What do you think? This is a big question for today. What do you think heaven will actually be like? Have you thought about that? Because I believe if we really had even a glimpse of what heaven would be like, it would change the way we live today. Revelation chapter 21. Are you ready to study God's word together, church? Woo! Come on now. Now this is referring to after the return of Jesus and the restoration of God's creation, the new heaven and the new earth come together. And I'll talk about what that means. But it says this in Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Can you picture it? 
And here's the fun part. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, or the old school English, behold, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Amen. Some of you needed to hear that today. When you get to heaven, there will be no more cancer, no more loved ones passing, no more broken hearts, no more depression, no more anxiety, no more worry, no more fear. The old order of things has passed away. No more prone to sin and do things that you and I really don't want to do. Everything is made new. Everything changes. Verse 6, he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, and the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Now, if you come to Mercy Road, we're not, we're not the turn or burn type of place. I read that because it's the reality of what Scripture says, that those who choose to reject God in this life will be eternally separated from him. The place that they refer to, I believe, a literal place, is they describe it with weeping and gnashing of teeth. And it says in Scripture that uh, when all is said and done, everything is going to change. And at the resurrection, some, uh, Matthew 25 said, there will be sheep and goats, and God will separate and judge But if you ever thought about what Jesus' main message was in the Gospels, because we often think this. We think, well, Jesus came, he was crucified, so that I could be forgiven and I could go to heaven when I die. Now, that is definitely true, and that's a part of the good news of Jesus, absolutely. And when we refer to the Gospel, it means good news, and that's a reference to that we get to go to heaven, absolutely. But that's not the entirety of the good news of Jesus, In fact, Jesus' main message wasn't, believe in me so you can go to heaven. He actually didn't say that very often. You know what he said all the time in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? He said, repent for what? The kingdom of God is at hand. Mark, Luke, and John, they say kingdom of God. Matthew was writing to a Hebrew context, a Jewish context, and so he would say the kingdom of heaven. It meant the same thing as it is in heaven, that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is at hand. That we can get glimpses of this side of heaven, what heaven will be like. And one day, we will be there eternally with him. We live in a time period that is already, but not yet. The already, but not yet. Maybe if you think about that, you've got glimpses of that. And until the return of Jesus, we won't uh, fully experience the resurrected life that we will have one day, but we can get glimpses of it. What I'd like to share with you today is that if one day we will go to be with Jesus, he will return, he will set the world right, we will live with him eternally, that if that is real life, more real than this life today, if we believe that heaven was more real than today, today would look differently, wouldn't it? And I'm going to come back to that at the very end. Will you pray with me? Jesus, uh, we pause as we read Revelation 21, we saw the new heaven and the new earth. God, we pray you teach us what happens to us when we die. What will, 
your return look like? What will heaven be like? Teach us through scripture what's there and what's not there. And then we just pause. We acknowledge the presence of your Holy Spirit. And we pray that you would speak to our souls together. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Has anybody ever been to the happiest place on earth before? You know what I'm talking about, don't you? The 1987 NCAA finals. When Keith Smart hit that shot in New Orleans from the side and Indiana Hoosiers won the national championship. Amen. Praise the Lord Jesus. Yes. No, I'm talking about Disneyland, right? Or Disney World. Any Disney fans out there? Some of you love the mouse. Come on now. I've got a few woos. Some of you are crazy. I don't know if Rand and Kathy Mellinger are here. They're probably not because they're probably there right now. Some of you love and you obsess about it. I want to tell you, you know, as an adult, I lived in Southern California for seven years. I lived at times 20 minutes away from Disneyland, the happiest place on earth. For most of that seven years, about six of it, I ministered to young adults who many of them worked at Disneyland. They were employed there. And they would all come to me and say, Josh, if you would like to go to the happiest place on earth, I can get you in for free. For free. I could go to Disneyland, see Mickey, see Minnie, anytime I wanted, for free. You know how many times I went in seven years? That was zero, if you can see that online. Zero times I ever went there. The reason I never went, because come on now, how many of you, when you think of Disney World and Disneyland, you think of long lines, a lot of heat, overpriced food, crying children? Why would I ever put myself through that? Amen, some of you. Come on, brothers. And yet... As the, my entire adult life, I was 20 minutes away. I never went for seven years. We moved to Indiana. We now have a two-year-old. We go back to visit Southern California. Somebody says, I got free tickets. We said, well, we have a kid now. I guess we have to go. I went there. I'm embarrassed to say it. Had the time of my life. <laughs> I didn't care if the two-year-old came next time. I would go back by myself. It was that much fun. And then found out about the fast pass. Have you had the fast pass? You get, and this is, you don't lack integrity. You actually get to cut everyone off in line. It's very empowering. And I'll tell you, all of a sudden I was like, why did I miss out on this for seven years? What was I thinking? See, I'm going to end this service today talking about how I think heaven is under attack. That for seven years, I didn't go there, man. But, but some of us, we think that heaven's not really going to be that great. Why would I go there? Doesn't sound that exciting. All the fun stuff I want to do happens here, and it involves sinning, so I'm not going to do that in heaven. I want to encourage you that life in heaven that we're going to get a glimpse of in Scripture is not only going to be more real, it's going to be more enjoyable than any high, anything you have ever experienced here on this earth. And that's what I want to share with you. And the reality is, for those of us who are Christians of many years even, we know about heaven, and we could just study it academically, but if it's not real and tangible in our life, it's kind of worthless, isn't it? We need to ask honest questions, and maybe you've got real-life questions that as adults we stop asking, but children, they're not afraid to ask it. So maybe you have those questions. Write them down this morning. Turn them in at the Connect Center, and I'll try and answer them here in a couple of weeks. But I realized that because my son, when he was about five or six years old, he would ask inquisitive questions about heaven. And in particular, the first time he ever went to an open casket funeral when my Aunt Nancy passed away. And I remember going to the funeral and we prepared him and we talked about how Aunt Nancy was in heaven and we, he was explaining all of that to him. 
And he went and he saw the Aunt Nancy's body there, and he looked at it and he said, Dad, why did she forget her skeleton? I was like, that's a really good question. Why didn't she take the skeleton with her? She's really missing out. Is she just floating around up there? Like, what happened to Aunt Nancy when she passed away? I want to answer some of these questions for us. We're going to talk about some of the deep, hard questions and some of the fun questions. I hope you enjoy it. I encourage you to get a pen out, get your iPad out. You're going to drink from the fire hose here for a second, which means I'm going to throw like tons of content. I got four points and my four points have four points and it's going to be so much information, which I've been preaching long enough. I know that means that some of you are just like, this is going to be a horrible sermon. Just encourage you. Sometimes you need bad sermons so you can appreciate the good ones. So. Here's the first question. I'm going to move quickly that we're going to ask is, what happens when we die? What happened to Aunt Nancy? She knew Jesus. Here's what I believe, uh, two things about what happens when you die. Number one, you have a soul. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28 says this, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy the soul and the body in hell. Other places, 2 Corinthians 5 talks about that this body is just an earthly tent. It's a temporary dwelling that your soul, I believe, goes to be with Jesus. That's the second part. What happens when we die? We have a soul, and if you know Jesus, your soul goes to be with him. If you know Jesus, your soul goes to be with him. It says this in Matthew, or excuse me, Luke 23, 42 to 43. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. This is the criminal on the cross, the scene at the crucifixion. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you a particular vision as we cover all these things about heaven. I believe it is the right interpretation of Scripture, which is why I'm sharing it. But scholars can debate about many of these secondary issues. So you can disagree with some of the things I'm sharing. Martin Luther and John Calvin disagree with what I just said. They believe in something called soul sleep. They refer to that, uh, theologically speaking, the intermediate state, all right, taking notes, in between when you die and when Jesus returns, they refer to that as the intermediate state. They actually believe that when you die, they believed in soul sleep, that your soul slept, you died one moment, and the next moment you wake up, it might be thousands of years later when Jesus has actually returned and the resurrection has occurred, and it feels like you just passed away a second ago, but it was actually, you know, millennia. Uh, I don't believe that because of Luke 23, 42 to 43 that we just read, because he told the criminal, not uh, someday, but today you'll be with me in paradise. So you can know with certainty that when you die, your soul goes to be with Jesus if you knew him. So that's what I believe happens when you die. Now, when you go there, you don't have your permanent resurrected body yet. And I'll talk about that in just a moment. But first, let's answer this next question. So if the intermediate state is that time period between when Jesus returns, what happens, what will happen when Jesus returns? The early Christians had these same questions. In fact, the church in Thessalonica, in one of the earliest letters that Paul wrote, somewhere around 48 or 49 AD, he wrote this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 13. We all track, and brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death. It's going to talk about falling asleep. It means they died. So that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command. Can you hear it? With the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. 
and the dead in Christ will rise first. That there will actually be a physical resurrection when Jesus returns. After that, we who are still alive, not the ones who haven't passed or died yet, uh, and are left, will be caught up together. If you have the Bible open or you've got it on your iPad or phone, highlight, circle, underline, caught up. We will be caught up together. The word there is a Greek word, but in the early church, it was translated into Latin. The Latin Vulgate was one of the early translations of the Bible. And when they translated to the Latin, that verb there uh, was translated to rapturo, which is where we get the name, the phrase rapture from, that some of you might be familiar with from like the Left Behind series from a couple decades ago. And it's talking about when Jesus returns, those who have died, there will be a physical resurrection and those who are still alive will be caught up to be with him. Now, if you've come in today and you consider yourself an in-depth scholar of the end times, of the eschatological timeline, I don't know uh, where you're at on that, and I don't really care today. We're not talking about that. I've taught about that in Revelation series we did a number of years ago. I don't care if you're pre-trib or post-trib or mid-trib or all-millennial or post-millennial or pre-millennial or any of that stuff today, or if you even give a rip about what those terms mean. What I do care about is that it says in this passage that Jesus will return and there will be a physical resurrection and that those who haven't passed yet will be caught up to be with him. I don't know what that's going to be like. I don't know if it's going to be like the movies where we're just standing here and then like, bam, all of a sudden my clothes are in a pile on the ground. Probably not what it's going to be like, but there will be a time where Jesus returns and everything's going to change. Now, what I want to share with you is that's really important when it comes to the return of Jesus. Nobody knows when it's going to happen. Nobody knows. It says in Matthew 24, verse 36, but about the day or, or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the son, but only the father. It seems like every few years, there's like crazy radio guy who declares, I know when the end times is going to happen. And like a hundred people go get their RVs and live in the wilderness and stockpile food together. Or maybe it's even some megachurch pastors that I actually have had a lot of respect for, except for on this particular issue, because they will get up and they will declare, you know, this is when it's going to happen, or this is, this is who the Antichrist is going to be, or this is, politically speaking, I don't know if this person is the Antichrist, but he could be, and this is what it's going to kind of be like. I think all of those things are dangerous and manipulative and have been used to politically coerce people for many years. Scriptures teach us that no one knows the day or the time, not even Jesus. So if Jesus doesn't know, crazy radio guy, person with the YouTube channel does not know either. Can we agree on that? Amen. We're all tracking. So Jesus will return. We'll be caught up to be with him. There will be a physical resurrection. Number three, if you're taking notes, what then will heaven actually be like? So I believe that your soul upon death goes to be with Jesus. That one day when Jesus returns, there is a physical resurrection. I believe in, in heaven we will have spiritual bodies, so to speak. I don't think it's just going to be like we're floating around or something. And I don't know the, the, the term heaven is actually the other place of God where only God can reside. And it's not most likely on the clouds because I've been in airplanes and I at least haven't found it yet. You know, scientifically speaking, I don't know if it's a dimension we're not familiar with. I don't really know. I'm not God. I'm a finite being. What I do know is it's the place where only God and his angels are. Because of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, now our soul goes to be with him upon death. And when Jesus returns, everything now changes. According to Revelation 21 that we read a moment ago, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. 
Now, John Calvin believed that you would, the new earth would occur and it was just for us to look at from heaven. I believe that's biblically inaccurate. And the reason is because when you look at Revelation 21 and 22, as we'll look at in a moment, it talks about the, essentially the paradisical Garden of Eden metaphor that is used that will be a restoration of God's creation. Only now, heaven and earth will have come together. And we're going to physically be with God forever. And I can't wait to describe it. Here's what some of the questions that naturally come up about what that will actually be like for eternity. And let's ask the most important questions first. Like, do pets go to heaven? Come on now. You know that's important. And I say that, you know, and and I'm going to have some fun with this because let's just be honest. The, The real answer is, the honest biblical answer to this question is, it depends. Are we talking about dogs? Are we talking about cats? Amen? Because as a child, I had this dog. His name was Rusty. He was the greatest dog in the world. I used to ride him around all the time. Am I going to get to ride Rusty again in heaven? Don't tell me I'm not. Right? Because all dogs go to heaven. Cats. They go to this other place. Down below in the pit of darkness. No, I don't, I don't, I don't know. But the Bible does not say whether our pets go to heaven or not. It brings up hard questions like the, we don't believe a pet has a soul in the same way a human being does. So like what, what, what actually happens? And how do you get in if you're a pet? If you're like a good pet, you didn't pee on the carpet, do you get in? Right? Or is it, if your owner was a Christian, then you get in? Like it brings up some hard questions. But we don't know. I really hope I get to see Rusty in heaven. What we do know is this, though, especially since, I mean, I just had a friend who I saw online. Uh, their dog of 13 years passed away. Man, it's like family, isn't it? And you're like, man, I want to look forward to that. Here's what I do know. When you get to heaven, there will be animals, and you will have a better relationship with those animals than with any animal you have ever had. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 6 says this. We could look at a couple of passages, but it says, The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child will lead them. It says in another place that the child will put his hand into the viper's nest. Not only will there be dogs in heaven, apparently there will be snakes too. How many of you are looking forward to that? No hands at this service. So there will be animals in heaven and we will have perfect relationship. It'll be like Ace Ventura, Peck Detective. Just be like, (laughs) and the animals come flocking to you. It's going to be a little bit like this video here. There's no audio, but like when you get to heaven, look at that. Is that a little wiener dog? Just he's sitting there and he's licking the face of the lion. It's so cute. When you get to heaven, you're going to hang out with the animals, right? Like that's how in the Garden of Eden it was. There was no death or pain or violence. You're going to have right relationship. Amen. I got an amen over here. You're going to have right relationship with God's creation itself and with human beings and with God that we'll talk about in just a moment. The next question, what will our bodies be like in heaven? Our bodies be like in heaven. Now, first of all, your soul goes to heaven upon death. We're talking about once Jesus returns and there is the physical resurrection, you will have a perfected uh, body. It says this in chapter 3, verse 20 and 21 of Philippians. Paul writes, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. 
1 Corinthians 15 talks about it. The other places talk about this body is just a temporary dwelling. And so if you are here and your physical body is breaking down or has broken down or is not functioning correctly, I have good news for you. When you get to heaven, everything is going to work properly. I told you last weekend, Eric Maitland is going to be six foot four with Fabio hair, right? But what I did not share is that Pastor Nick is actually going to look like this when we get to heaven. That is... <laughs> I love it, dude. I love this picture. Can I be honest? Because I, I don't know if you can tell. It's obviously the rock's body. We have showed that to people. That is really Nick's face on the rock's body, and people still think it's just the rock. You didn't know Dwayne Johnson was out in the lobby today. Be sure and shake his hand. Now, I don't think, let's get that muscular man off the screen. Uh, I don't think it's going to be this uh, vain thing like that when you get to heaven that all of a sudden we're all bodybuilders or something. I, I think that we're not going to care about vanity anymore and you're going to have a body and you're going to love it and it's going to work properly in every way. And that's the good news. There will be no more vanity. We won't even care about some of those things. I think we will have physical bodies though. It's not just floating around. You're not just going to be a ghost. The next question is an important one. Will people be married in heaven? Or have sex in heaven. Woo! Well, let's be honest. Okay, my wife, I love her to death. Lisa is the most amazing thing. I'm attracted to her in every way, emotionally, spiritually, physically, uh, intellectually, all that stuff. She's awesome. I really, really hope that we are together in heaven eternally. But here's what scripture says about it. Matthew 22, verse 30. Jesus said, this is Jesus' words, at the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. I know that just crushed some of your souls. Others of you, like my wife, was like, praise the Lord Jesus. <laughs> free at last, free at last, right? Like, I, I, I want to tell you that um, you won't be married in heaven. And, and here is the news uh, about the, the S-E-X word. Uh, because sex is meant to be between a marriage relationship, biblically, and that's where it's meant to, to be, it was made to be pleasurable, yes, but to procreate and multiply, as I said in the book of Genesis, and, and that when we get to heaven, there will no longer be marriage. So I, I hate to tell you this, at least biblically, I can't make an argument that there will be sex in heaven. We're going to have prayer counselors out in the lobby <laughs> after the service for all of y'all. Now, I want to share with you, and some of a few of you that were saying amen to that marriage thing, you're also saying, praise the Lord, right? None of that in heaven. What I want to tell you is that I believe we live in a hyper-sexualized culture where we think we're not complete until we have that special somebody, and we live for these next physical experiences, not just sexually, but that's why we turn to things like alcohol and drugs and other things. And actually, when we get to heaven, all of those things are going to seem like this little dirty shadow that is nothing like being in the presence of God and being in heaven and God's perfect creation with humankind. Every desire will be met. You're not going to be there going, oh, man, I really miss out on that stuff. It's, ah, I miss it. What did I do? It's going to be way better than any experience you have ever had any moment in time, as I'll share at the end together. But that's what I believe it teaches about uh, marriage and sex. The last couple of things for the sake of time, I'm going to move quickly. Uh, Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 to 5, God will restore us. God will restore us. 
I believe if you read Revelation 22, let's go ahead and read it. Revelation 22, verses 1 to 5, it says this up on the screen. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Verse 2. Down the middle of the great street of the city, on each side of the river, stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. No longer will be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. Verse 4. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Finally, there will be no more night. They will, not, they will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Did you notice the scene? It said there's a river and trees. It's almost a, a recreation scene here of the paradise that God originally created the earth to be. Only now God is at the center of it. No more darkness, no more nighttime, the things that happen at the nighttime. God is going to be with us. He's going to restore his creation the way he originally intended it to be. And not just restore it, as we looked at in verse 3 to 5 of Revelation 21, God will dwell with us. There will be no more pain or suffering. He's right in the center of his creation. No more death or violence or hatred. We will be right with God, right with people, and right with his creation. The way it was originally intended to be, only now God has had the people who have chosen to receive his grace and mercy that really desire a relationship with him that are going to be there together for all eternity. Not just singing hymns or playing music, although some of you may like that part, but having the perfect experience where every desire is made, met. That's the story of the Bible, really. God was with them in the Garden of Eden. Adam literally walked with God physically, it says in the book of Genesis, until sin separated us from God. And he still pursued them through the people of Israel. And they built the tabernacle, which literally means dwelling, because God desired to dwell with them in the wilderness. And so they built a house for him. Bethel, it means house of God. It's where the Hebrew for temple, that they built a building. And in the most holy of holies, the Ark of the Covenant was kept there because his presence dwelled with them. The word tabernacle literally means dwelling place. And so he continued to pursue them. And the Israelites rejected him just as the rest of humankind. And he still didn't give up on it. He sent the prophets. And when they didn't listen, he sent his only son. That we celebrate at Christmas time, Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. John chapter 1, it says that Jesus came to dwell with us, literally tabernacle with us. And in Revelation 21, it says that he will dwell with us forever and ever, and no longer will we be separated from him. And see, we think about all of the fun experiences and what it's going to be like in the new heaven, the new earth, and the streets of gold, and all the incredible experiences and the smells and the, and the colors and the, the tastes, and it's going to be amazing and incredible. But nothing will compare to, for the first time, be able to be in the presence of Almighty God that, that created the universe in six days and took the seventh day off because He can do that. And you're going to get to see Him face to face. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for you and for me. And that none of us deserve it. And yet we get to experience that. I can't wait for that moment. The feeling that will come with that, it will compare to nothing else we have ever experienced in this lifetime. See, I believe the final thing I told you I would come back to this is that heaven is under attack in two ways. Number one, that heaven can wait. Psalm 84.10 says, better is one day in your courts, one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Better is one day with the Lord than being courtside at the 1987 NCAA finals. 
Better is one day in, in the courts of God than being at the most ex greatest experience of your life, at the birth of your child, and whatever it is that you look forward to, and you say, that was the most incredible vacation I have ever had. Better is one day in the courts of God than a thousand elsewhere. So don't think it's not going to be an incredible experience that it can just wait, and who needs to look forward to it, and who needs to think about it, and we're just going to float around and sing songs anyway. Because you haven't read what Scripture actually says. The second way it's under attack is that most people are going to heaven. And I don't share this to scare anyone. We're not the turn or burn place. But it says this in Matthew 7, 13 to 14. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Jesus said in John 14, 16. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I have many friends, and maybe you're here today or watching online, and you believe in God, and you believe in a higher power, and you believe that if you were a good person, that one day you'll get to go to heaven and you'll experience it. Man, I'm not here to debate or to share anything other than that is not the version of Christianity that we read in the Bible. Christianity says, the scriptures teach, and historically Christians have shared for 2,000 years, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. His main message was repent because heaven is at hand. And you can experience life with God. Not because we deserve it, but because of his crucifixion and his resurrection, we get to experience his grace and his mercy. And he uses that imagery I shared last week of the prodigal son. No matter where you've been or what you've done, that you can come home. And God waits with open arms, but the son had to come home. And admit his or her condition. They've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one's better than the next. And none of us deserve to go to heaven. But only through Jesus Christ, that narrow road, that we can fully experience it. And so I'll close with this question. What's the one thing you could do today if heaven is this real? You've heard about heaven for years. But what's the one thing? you got to talk to your family and your friends today. What's the one thing you would do differently today if this is really true? And let's do it. And let's live that way. And let's turn tomorrow into today and live for eternity.